Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hi, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me today. It is Scott. Say hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. <laughs> and Scott, what movie are we discussing today? Batman Mask of the Phantasm from 1993. I am so excited about this. I'm kind of geeking out about it, too, especially since the Blu-ray just came out this past week. Yes, awesome. I, I actually went to go foolishly try to buy the Blu-ray in person, and they didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of one of those made-on-demand discs. You mm-hmm. kind of have to order it off the internet. Yeah, I ended up renting it on iTunes, but I still plan on buying the Blu-ray, so I haven't bought it on iTunes yet. Oh, okay. So I will own it, I promise. Oh, but, yeah. I, I, I own, you know, VHS, DVD, now Blu-ray. It's, it's, it's a problem. It's, it's an <laughs> issue I have. Man, VHS, you still held on to your VHS. It's pretty impressive. Oh, well, okay, clarify. I haven't held on to my VHSs, but my parents have all the VHSs in a closet in their house. And so it's still Aww. there. It's It was even like the clamshell VHS. Nice. I mean, the, I mean like, those were... ones. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you first see this movie on VHS, or did you see it... Were you like one of the few that saw it in the theaters? Oh, no, I was... I was I'm, I'm, I'm doing the math here. Um, I did too. Uh, I was like, okay, hold on. I was 11. I was 11 when this movie came out in theaters. And as much as a fan as I was of Batman the Animated Series, going to the movies, like actually to the theater when I was a kid, that was reserved for like special occasions. Like my my parents did not willy-nilly take us to the movies. I mean, yeah. back then, even even when a matinee was three dollars, you know, that was too expensive. You know, you know, the thinking back in the 90s, you know, three dollars for a matinee, five dollars for an evening show. <laughs> that's just too much. To, that's just too much to just go off and do. So oh, we had it so good. <laughs> so, no, I did not get to see this in theaters, which is a crying shame. Um, no, it was so it was in 94 when it came on a VHS and we rented it from a movie gallery because, you know, there were these places once where you would walk <laughs> into a store and pick up a tape off a counter and you got to keep it for like two days. I mean, it it's shocking, you know, And you pay exorbitant uh, return fees. <laughs> Hey, I always had those movies back on time. Oh. I, I was I was that kid. I was that <laughs> kid that I was like, come on, we got to go. We got to go. And uh, no, but so I watched it. I still remember seeing it. It was on VHS in my parents' den. Oh, and I still remember loving that movie and then being one of those reactions going, why didn't I see that? Even even at like 13, I was like, why didn't I see this in theaters? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it was the same year, I think, that uh, Lion King came out, right? 
I think I saw oh. that in theaters because I, I know I was nine. And for some weird reason, I always remembered that's when The Lion King came out and that I was that age. And I'm always like, I was nine. The Lion King came out in 1993. So I think I think that's when it came out. Yeah. So I yeah, feel like well, everyone it, went to see that because <laughs> that was well, like huge. It was also the theatrical release was a Christmas release. Yeah. So there, that kind of was a like a you know not only was my parents like we don't go to the movies unless it's kind of a big deal or something special. You didn't go to the movies over Christmas. You had too much family stuff going on. Like you know you had you had your limited time of Christmas vacation and all of that was this family and that family and traveling. So there was like no way you know I was going to make it to a movie theater to go see this movie when I couldn't drive myself or pay for it myself. Yeah. I think I personally wasn't aware of this movie like at all. Like I know that the Batman animated series was definitely my introduction to Batman for sure. Um, I know I saw the movie, the 1989 movie really young too, but I don't remember this movie. I only remember the show. And so I didn't see this right away. Like I, I didn't see this till, uh, like recently. <laughs> oh, it had the coolest TV commercials. I mean, I was, I was hurting. I was hurting that I couldn't see this. And then of course, this is also back in the day when comic books were like at Walmart or yep, the grocery yeah. store. So you would see like the graphic novel adaptation of the movie and you're just and with that awesome Bruce Tim cover art. And you're just kind of like, Oh, and but I never looked at it. Because even even as a twelve year old, I I was like no spoilers, so I wouldn't even read I <laughs> wouldn't even read it until I saw the movie. That's awesome. Well, I I don't know how I missed this movie. I really do not know. Like all I can tell you is that as a child, I was like Batman was like my favorite show. In fact, I I, I told my husband I have a memory of my mom telling me she didn't like the show because. Uh, she walked in one day and it was a scene with like, uh, I don't remember what episode it was, but it was a scene with like a few mobsters and they were firing like Tommy guns. And she walked in and she was like, what the heck are you watching? And I'm like, it's Batman. And she just, she thought it was like too violent. So she wasn't like a huge fan of it. Her um, standards and practices. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. That show, the behind the scenes stories you hear from what Bruce Tim and Paul Dini and Alan Burnett and all those guys had to do to skirt around the censors and get stuff into that show. It was ridiculous. I mean, the only reason they were able to get Tommy guns into the show was because they were vintage weapons and standards and practices said, okay, a kid can't copy this because it's not a modern day weapon. So that was, that was their, that was their like workaround of, Hey, they're firing Tommy guns. Well, a kid can't walk out and go and fire a Tommy gun. So we can allow this. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty crazy. I, I just remember. Yeah. Like being really, really into this show and the style of it. And I, I mean, it, it's kind of crazy to go back and look at it as an adult and just appreciate it so much more because there's so many things about it. I didn't notice like the violence, I guess I just <laughs> didn't notice it. Um, but I remember like going to the Warner Brothers uh, store when they when those existed. If you remember those, <laughs> and shopping and, and these things called shopping malls. Yeah, <laughs> and I would go and look at all the like replicas from the movie. Like I remember being very into it, and then cut to un- being an adult a few years ago. I just kind of completely got away from it for some reason, and I only recently have jumped back into it. So now I'm kind of playing catch up, like watching all the movies and. Uh, I hadn't seen the the Mask of the Phantasm, and admitted that 
out loud and my husband was like how did you miss this movie like everyone's <laughs> seen this movie like what are you talking about how, how would you like Batman but not see this <laughs> and I'm like I don't know I just and I was like you know oh I came out in 1983 how good can it really be you know like I really didn't I don't know I just didn't see it and then when I saw it I have to admit to you I was completely shocked I was like just amazed by this movie for real like I think it's like my favorite Oh no, so I have good. I have admitted on at least two other podcasts. So this will be podcast number 3 that this is hands down my favorite Batman movie of all time. Live action, animation, I don't care. If someone put a gun to my head and said, "What's your favorite Batman movie?" My answer is always Mask of the Phantasm. I this mean, movie yeah. just got it right. Yeah, and you're not wrong. It's it's literally I think the perfect Batman story. How it has not become live action I don't understand, but I feel that way a lot. Like when I see some, some of the movies, um, I always think like, why don't they pull from this or why don't, you know, sometimes they'll pull aspects of it, but I would love if they would just adapt it, but that may never happen. That's okay. But (laughs) just something I've thought, um, let me transition really quick into the quick facts that I have. I have a couple, just a couple. I feel like you have more. So I'm going to say I probably just have some from memory, to be honest with you. I am such a nerd about this movie. That's that's awesome. I mean, that, that's the best part about uh, talking to someone who really loves a movie is like they know it backwards and forwards. I feel like there's a obvious difference between me spouting facts and someone just I mean, it's like they, they finally get to say all of the ones that they've always wanted to say. <laughs> so I, I like that. So, OK, you already mentioned uh, that this movie came out in 1993, which I was I was kind of surprised by that just one year after the first season of the animated series. So it must have just been such a success that they knew they were going to have the uh, the audience for this movie. Well, it was originally supposed to be a direct to video yeah. movie. And like in the middle of production, they were like, hey, we're thinking about releasing it theatrically. And of course, everyone on the show went, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, they're like, OK, uh, game plan change. I'm, I'm glad they did it. And uh, I, I was when I was watching the movie, like I said, for the first time, I noticed this. And then when I read about it, it made me feel better. Like, OK, I'm, I'm not wrong uh, that it was, you know, fairly heavily influenced by Citizen Kane, which is so cool. Like to do that with a kid's movie basically, you know? I actually hadn't heard that. That's yeah. a fact. I didn't know. Well, there you go. You learn something new every day. This, then They kind of talked about there are certain scenes or like, especially a lot of the flashbacks that are like a little bit similar. And oh, I thought okay. that was yes. really interesting. And I was like, you know, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to gripe a little bit for a minute. Kids these days, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like sometimes uh, children's movies these days, it's like they're sort of afraid to to go deeper like that. Um, as a little child, I didn't know what Citizen Kane was. But that's okay. It kind of adds a layer to it that as you get older, you go back and appreciate. And you can put things like that in there. And even if kids don't get it when they're little, it's like your appreciation grows over time. And also your parents watching it with you, they appreciate it more. I don't know. I kind of I feel like... I miss that. And I, I thought that a lot when we've we've been rewatching the entire animated series recently, just finished it. And I was thinking that the whole time. I was like, I cannot believe how much they put into this show and into this movie. It's just so good. And I, I feel like, I mean, granted, I don't have kids, so maybe I'm just not watching enough cartoons, but I don't feel like they're like that anymore. 
no, uh, I'm telling you, they're not. I mean, <laughs> and and this is coming from a grown man who still watches cartoons. And I just use my four year old and my one year old as an excuse to. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm I'm watching it with the kids. No. Well, when you said about some Citizen Kane, like I think even at that age, it Citizen Kane was because also Warner Brothers Animation before Batman the Animated Series and a lot of people who came came on to Batman the Animated Series, they were working on like Tiny Toon Adventures and Animaniacs, and yeah. there's all kinds of adult references and adult humor in those shows. And like I think even Tiny Toons did like a ripoff of Citizen Kane. Like that's that was my introduction to that movie was like the Tiny <laughs> Toons parody. Maybe that's so, how I remember it then. But uh, yeah, so uh, so very cool on that on that note. And also was reading, and I'm I was trying to find my copy of this uh, that this movie pulled a lot from year one and year two Batman. The absolutely yes, um, you get all the flashback stuff, uh, especially the you know him him fighting crime with like the ski mask on and the yeah. jacket. That looks really de- familiar, yeah. That is death. And even him doing the jujitsu out in his, like, his backyard, you know, before Andrea shows up to see him, that is totally from Frank Miller's Year One. I've actually never read Year Two, Me but the, uh, it's by Mike Barr. And actually, there's an anniversary edition of it coming out, like, at the end of the year. So I'm hoping to finally get to read it. But yeah, the character of the Phantasm is loosely inspired by the character of the Reaper from year from year two yeah and so yeah and there and there's like a there's a sort of a man who's the reaper and he has a daughter who's a love interest with bruce so i mean it's yeah there you could definitely tell the inspirations from year two in phantasm so i I know that i read it but i couldn't find my copy of it i only found batman the dark knight returns and i don't really remember all of it because so this is kind of a, a a quick segue I took a college course when I was going to UNT. Uh, I needed an extra English class, and they had a graphic novel class. I hate you because <laughs> I'm so jealous of you right now. And it, it was funny because they had never had it before. So basically, like the professor, I'm jealous of him. He just winged the entire class. He just was like, today we're going to read The Dark Knight Returns. You know, like he just he had a, sort of a syllabus, but he basically just talked about it. So... I went to the class because I was, I think I had just seen that movie, Ghost World, if you've ever seen that movie. I actually have not seen that movie. Mm. I've actually, and I've never read the graphic novel either. Yeah, and, and I was kind of into it, and I thought, well, maybe this will help me, like, get more into comics, which it didn't right away. I, I really loved the Batman stuff that I read, and which was, I, I know we read Year One and The Dark Knight Returns, and I really loved Watchmen. But back in the day, when I was in, in this class, I was more into like the like memoir type comics and mm-hmm. and uh you know we read like Mouse and um this really cool graphic novel called Palestine and, and things like that that were more like social and political so I didn't I wasn't like as into comics as I am now with uh with all the DC stuff I'm reading but um I remember that book and even when we watched this movie I remembered those scenes I was like okay this is from that book and so when I read about it I was like okay good yeah I do remember that um, oh but- well little, little quick fact for me actually personal fact it was when this movie came out and they had like the little f- newsletters at the movie theater like hey here are the upcoming movies that was the first time I realized that Mark Hamill was the vo- voice of the Joker I've been watching this show for a year and I had no idea that Mark Hamill I was like who's Luke Skywalker in this and my dad was like He's the Joker's son. And I was like, what? Because my dad had seen like 
my dad has seen like my dad traveled a lot when he was before he retired and he had seen like a making of special on like HBO or something, you know, one night in a hotel room somewhere. And so it was like this dirty secret that I didn't know that Mark Hamill was the voice of the Joker until that mo- until Phantasm came out. And I was like, what? You're, you're joking. Let me read the uh, synopsis. Or do you want to read the synopsis? Do you have Do you have it? I actually don't have this, but it's your show. So please, oh, okay, go okay. ahead. I'll try it. I may do it more than once, just warning you. Okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. In this animated feature set in the 1940s, the troubled yet heroic Batman is pitted against a mysterious figure who is rubbing out Gotham City's most dangerous criminals, and who many believe is a cape crusader himself. Batman's alter ego, millionaire Bruce Wayne, is about to get married to the lovely Andrea Beaumont, who helps him recover from his need to avenge his parents' murder, meaning that his crime-fighting days may be numbered. There's a lot of dashes and commas that don't need to be here. <laughs> I was and there's read also it one a lot of what <laughs> is not in the 1940s, and uh, you're, you're totally, you're totally met, and that synopsis is totally mixing up the present day story with the flashback story. It is. I'm like, okay, let me find one more synopsis. Let's do that. <laughs> Where'd you get that one before. from? That one was Wikipedia. Sometimes IMDb is a little too long. It's kind of hit or miss, though. I think uh, my. <laughs> Oh, go for it. Yeah. If you I'm find that it, one up right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I did, I did. This oh, this, one. this one's, this one's okay. Okay. Well, there's several, uh, let's see where this one goes. Uh, how, what do you think about this one? Batman, the costume crime fighter who prowls the night skies in Gotham city soon find there's another vigilante in town, knocking off prominent mob figures. Despite the Sith-like blade for a hand, a mechanical voice, and the cloud of smoke that follows the figure wherever it goes, the police and outraged officials mistake the homicidal crusader for Batman himself and demand that the city's longtime hero be brought to justice. Meanwhile, Andrea Beaumont returns to town. She is the lost love of Bruce Wayne, the billionaire playboy who is Batman's alter ego and was an integral part in Wayne's decision ten years earlier to don the cape and cowl. Now she's back in his life and is no less a disruption than the return of his old archenemy, the Joker – who has a stake in seeing the annihilation of this new vigilante, whoever it proves to be. Amazing. That that sounds more like the movie. That sounds like the movie I watched. <laughs> uh, I think the worst synopsis I ever read was, we read one for Raiders, and it was so bad. It just like didn't have anything to do with the movie. But it was fun to read. Um, okay, well, let's talk a little bit about the director. So this one was directed by... Uh, Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski. Am I saying that right? You are saying that correctly, Matt. Okay. <laughs> Who cr- also created the animated series. Um, oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it was Radomski who was even responsible for the idea of painting it, painting the series on black paper. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's, you know, I watch all the special features, and that was that was the only way to get it as dark as they needed it to be was they actually painted everything on black paper. So it already started off that dark. Oh, wow. That's a really, that's really cool. I, I love the look of this movie and I guess where that synopsis got it wrong. There is like a 1940s vibe to it, but that's how oh. the whole show was. Oh, it, it was art deco all over the place yeah. because Bruce Tim had always said that they took inspiration from the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons. Oh, gotcha. But you know, but you would have, Art Deco buildings and gangsters in trench coats with Tommy guns, but then you'd have Batman with computers and a 
and an almost like AI intelligence to it, but it would have a black and white screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it was timeless in a way that it was old and new all at the same time. Yeah, for all the flaws of that uh, show Gotham, I do like that they hold on to that stylistic view of Gotham. I'd like to see that again in a movie. I, I would I would love it if uh, when Matt Reeves directs the new one, if he maybe did something like that. Because I, I just feel like that's what makes this feel like Batman to me. Um, I don't know. I just really like it. Well, it's just, it, it holds on to that 30s origins of the character, mm-hmm. but then allows you to have really awesome technology. I mean, you've got people like the Penguin who was walking around in a tuxedo and the Joker and all this. I mean, even their costumes are seriously dated, but yet we're supposed to believe it's still happening in present day. And so creating that timeless quality, like you said, like Gotham, where they still use flip phones, but their cars look like they're Chrysler's from the seventies. Mm-hmm. And, and you just, you, and their TVs are still like vacuum tubes. You know, it, it, it allows it, what it allows it to do is it never gets old. It right. never ages and because it, it, oh, it doesn't ahead. look like one time period at any, at ever. And so it's not like watching something you go, well, that's from the eighties. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think it also, when you give it that flair that the show has, it automatically puts you in that like noir setting. And oh, obviously yes. this movie has that. It's kind of like how Blade Runner does that a little bit too, you know, by the black and white photos, the, how they're dressed, the music, you know, that's just, I just always really like that. And I, I've noticed it being like a theme in a lot of the things I like. Maybe it started with Batman. Well, and, and not only, and you're talking about it being having a noir style, but it's also a noir detective mystery. Like there yeah. is a mystery, like you were, you could figure it out if you paid close enough attention to the movie. Like the clues are all there oh, for and sure. you can, and you can figure it out before this movie tells you the answer. And that's another thing that I feel like this movie gets right. And I'm glad you brought Matt Reeves because when Matt Reeves came out recently and said that he wants to do a noir detective story for his live action Batman movie with Ben Affleck, I'm just like, yes, please. Thank you. Yeah. And that was kind of my end to, to reading a lot of the Batman comics too, before I started heavily diving into like, uh, you know, all the, the new 52 Scott Snyder stuff and some of the other ones that I've read. I read all the uh, Gotham Central, is that what it's called? Yes. Yes, yeah. yes Gotham Central, uh, yes. Gotham Central uh, was what kind of got me, and that eased me into the comic book world because it was kind of like, it was still a, de- a straight, gritty detective story, you know? And Batman kind of showed up every once in a while, and that was sort of like my gateway drug. <laughs> and then after I read that, I started just reading more and more and more. But uh, this movie, I think, is so successful because it does grab that aspect of Batman that I think is timeless. And and I think what, what we like about him the most, I think he's, to me, he's at his best when he incorporates being a detective. And I think sometimes in some of the ways we've seen him, he isn't playing up the detective part as much. Not that it's not there, it's just not in front and center the way it is in this movie. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Yeah. I read, too, that, um, you know, you said you, you miss seeing it in theaters and you regret it, that Siskel and Ebert regretted not seeing it in theaters. That's pretty high Yes. Praise. Yeah. I've, I have actually seen – it was, it was um, Siskel who brought it up, and they actually did it on their At The Movies TV show. And, of course, he was talking about seeing it on Laserdisc at home. I was like, wow. That, <laughs> oh, gosh. That dates this review, doesn't it? Uh, I, I worked at a Suncoast back in the day. 
and they had laser discs when I still worked there. <laughs> I had to work there because uh, I grew up uh, in addition to animation that kind of evolved into me really liking uh, anime and you couldn't get it like you couldn't get anime anywhere pretty much and when you finally could, you had to go to Suncoast and pay like $30 for like four episodes. I so, remember those days. Yeah. So <laughs> that was part of my motivation to work there. Um, but yeah, that's crazy on Laserdisc. <laughs> uh, it's like, you just never know what medium is going to stick and what doesn't. <laughs> oh, never do. But yeah, I, I remember watching that review and going, Hey, you know, and it was really kind of cool because they were totally digging it. And they were like, wow, this this cartoon treats the material more seriously than some of the than some of the live action movies do. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I just uh, oh, at the end of this movie. Uh, and of course, we'll talk about the plot here in a minute. But it was kind of funny to me that at the end of the movie, my husband turned to me and said, so did you know that was going to happen? Like, did you see that coming? And I went, nope, <laughs> not at all. I, I got to enjoy this movie all the way through and be surprised at the end and just liking every twist of it to the very end. And I think that's another thing that I like about this movie is I don't think it's obvious what the end is going to be. And it's weird because they give you so many clues, but I still didn't see it coming somehow. Oh, but but that's those are the good ones is that yeah. they gave you the clues but they didn't like slap you upside the head with it. Right. And and that goes to the writers. I mean, this oh, was written sure. by Alan, Alan Burnett and Michael Reeves and Paul Dini and one other gentleman that I'm dreadfully sorry. I don't remember his name because the other three are like, I still remember seeing their credits before episodes of uh, the animated series because they were having to write this thing while also writing episodes of the show. Like, oh, gosh, production of the show did not stop. Wow. They were producing the show and then doing this movie kind of on the side. Wow. That's a lot. But you know what? The show is great. I, I, I Again, I'm just so shocked re-watching it. I mean, I kind of thought it would be like, I don't know, going back and watching any cartoon that I grew up with and just sort of looking at it with like, you know, through, through a rose-colored glasses. But it wasn't like that at all. I was really surprised at how good it was. And then, like, the second I finished it, I was like, oh, no, I need more. And then we started watching, like, you know, Justice League Unlimited and some of the other DC shows. They're just so good. <laughs> They're so good. Especially when you – this is totally a tangent, but I love it. But, it's like, when you watch, like, the entire DC animated universe from start to finish, all the way, for, all the way from you know, the first episode of Batman the Animated Series all the way to that last episode of Justice League Unlimited – Mm-hmm. And just, you know, with Batman, Superman, Batman Beyond, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, and you just watch those things front to back. It's just, oh, the world they created. And they basically kept the same creative talent through yeah. the entire run. Yep. That, that, that is really unique that they were able to do that. That's very cool. And speaking of talent, this is probably going to be one of my favorite parts to talk about. Let's talk about Kevin Conroy. Oh, you mean the best Batman ever? Yes. Oh my oh. gosh. I'm totally going to throw up the picture of, of me and my husband meeting him this year. Cause that was like, yay. yeah, you already threw that. You already threw that picture up. I've already seen that picture. <laughs> well, I'm going to put it up again. <laughs> oh. It was so fun. I, I was so excited to tell him that. And it's like something that I, I feel like I didn't notice this until, I don't know if I was listening to a podcast or if I was watching one of the movies and thinking about it. But yeah, man, whenever I read the comics, I always hear his voice. 
course you do. I mean, do. he's I'm, he's Batman to me. I mean, you know, it's like uh, I never hear anybody else. No, well, he's been Batman since I was ten. Right, and, he, <laughs> and he's still going. That's the thing. The man is still doing it, and in my opinion, he's just gotten better right. as the years have gone on. I just think he captures both sides of the coin so well. I think that's what makes him stand out and why he's done it for so long because he truly I think he adds a really human side to Bruce Wayne but then when he's Batman it's it's you know scary and it's like the two are almost equal I I never feel like he's doing a, a voice or having to pull himself out of out of a character to another one they feel kind of like the same person even though those two personas are so different mm-hmm. and that's why I think I like him so much and I, I like some of the other guys that have voiced Batman, too. Don't get me wrong. I don't think I've ever heard a Batman that I didn't like. But I just thought he, he has both those sides so well, so down so well. And I think, like, the closest I've seen that on screen, honestly, is, um, is Ben Affleck. I would agree because I will, I, will, I will state my claim that Ben Affleck in one movie is already my favorite live-action Batman. I mean... You know, what's funny is I was kind of on the fence a little bit when we saw BBS. And then uh, we started watching the animated series again. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's exactly like this show. Like, down to the smirk. Like, I don't know. It's just crazy. It's like they almost, like, look the same. I don't know. It's pretty yeah. It's pretty good. But um, you can tell that Kevin Conroy loves playing the role. Like, he yes. doesn't think of it as, oh, it's this thing I know. He has fully embraced what this role has given him. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you ever heard the story he tells about when he was helping serving uh, first responders at the twin towers after nine 11? I feel like I heard this story, but, but retell it. I don't. So he's back there. He's back there, sir. You know, he's, sir. He's like in the kitchen and he's like serving. And I forgot who, I think someone asked him like, what do you do? And and, and one of the things he comes all in, I'm I'm the, I'm the voice of Batman. And the guy was like, BS, you know, not, not, you know, saying the actual word. It's like, Prove it. And then, you know, he does the whole I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. And then when the firefighter just screams out and goes, guys, we got the GD Batman back here. And like <laughs> all those guys who, you know, after having to dig through that rubble for day in and day out, like uh, there were apparently was just like this swell. Like it gave them inspiration. It was like it was so awesome to them that Batman was in the back, like serving them soup. That's awesome. And it's a fantastic story, and I love it when he tells it because it, 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 he has given that to so many people because mm-hmm. he, and for so many generations because he's played the character for so long. I mean, in the animated series, in the Arkham games, in the various incarnations, I mean, he just – he is that voice for so many people. Right. Um, I have a, a, a kind of a cool quote from him. So he says uh, – he, meaning Bruce Wayne, is Batman. He became Batman the instant his parents were murdered. Batman needs Bruce, however hallow that identity feels to him from time to time. Bruce Wayne helps Batman stay human. I was like, oh, that's so good. That is so good. Because without <laughs> Bruce Wayne, that guy is a psychotic. Right. <laughs> There's always that that element to Batman, which is why this movie's so cool, because he has some of those like really tortured moments that you don't always get to see. 
Oh yeah, at, at the Comic Con this at this a couple of weeks ago, Bruce Tim said internally they always refer to this movie as the last temptation of Batman. <laughs> it's so accurate. Um, yeah, I just uh, you know this this movie has I think all of all of the aspects of Batman in one concise story. It's crazy that it's um, so short and yet they're able to pack that much into it. Like even sort of doing an origin story, but not having to completely go all the way and then showing his conflicts so well with the, with the love interest. I don't know. I just like, I just like this movie a lot. That's good. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, there you go. Um, but, uh, do you have any more, uh, Kevin Conroy, Kevin, ugh, Kevin Conroy? Uh, no, because there's so much other talent yeah. in this movie we need to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about, um, I'm going to save the best for last. I think you know who I'm talking about. Um, I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> but let's talk about, uh, Dana Delaney. Um, who played Andrea Beaumont and also Lois Lane. I didn't know that. I, yes, I know. That's the that's the mind-blowingest thing when you watch this movie. And for anyone who went off and watched Superman, the animated series, and Justice League, yeah, she's Lois Lane. It's so incredible to me. Um, I got I to gotta say this, and this is completely coming from a red-blooded male. <laughs> My goodness, can she sound attractive and sexy just by her voice? Yes. She could be in an animated body and it's still like she sizzles on screen. For sure. And I, I actually really liked her character design. I like I liked her like icy blue eyes. I liked um, her hair. She just, I don't know, she just had this like very elegant quality to her. But then, and, and a lot of it is because of uh, Dana Delaney's performance, but she could kind of like turn on a dime and just be really tough and believable as the mask of the phantasm. And that can be kind of challenging, especially when she's supposed to be like his love interest. But I felt well, like she then, did both really well, kind of the way that Bruce Wayne and Batman are two different personalities. She, she did both really well too. Well, and both Kevin Conroy and Andrea Bo- – uh, Kevin Conroy and Andrea Bo- <laughs> Kevin Conroy and Dana Delaney, they had to play themselves 10 years younger, present day, and in their alter egos. I mean right. so they're, they're all they're – both of them having to pull like triple duty and because especially at the end of the movie when like it's revealed who she is – you know, because she's not the voice when the mask is on. Sure, yeah. That was a that was a cool thing because they actually do use the the voice actor who played her father as mm-hmm. a, as a as a red herring. But you know, just that stone cold she has at the end when you know she's just like, I'm done. You know this. You know this guy's got to die. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I read that like uh, Bruce Tim was just so impressed with her performance that that's why they kept her on as Lois Lane. Because, yeah, I think she really, I mean, you've got to have a strong, I guess, villain or uh, protagonist. And she's, it's such a strong character. And I was really impressed by that, too. I've always liked that it seems like Batman's always interested in these really complicated, kind of powerful, unattainable women. And I don't know, I've always liked that about him. Like, you know, I think the only one I didn't like was Vicki Vale. But (laughs) I've always liked when he's pitted up against somebody like this and... And it's just, it's such a shock at the end. Um, well, but it's also so, it's also such a great dichotomy because mm-hmm. then you see the, excuse the, excuse the terminology, but the bimbos he hangs out with as Bruce Wayne right, right. To, to keep on that uh, Bruce Wayne persona. Mm-hmm. And then you contrast it with Selena Kyle or Talia al Ghul or 
Andrea Beaumont and, and the women he's actually really interested in. Yeah. And they've got to stay complex, powerful and unattainable to me. Like, I, I don't really want to see Batman happy. I know that sounds mean, but he's just well, at well, his best when he's not. I mean, let's be honest. Well, it's like this movie. It's, it's this movie that that great scene in the graveyard where he's like, I, he, he's like cry. I mean, it makes me cry every time I watch yes. it. It's like, it's like in the rain talking to his parents grave saying, please let me out of my pledge because I never expected to be happy. I need you to tell me that it's okay. And then she turns around and it's like, maybe they are telling you, maybe they sent me. And it's just that moment of, Oh my, Oh my God, because that's it. He, he stops being Batman Mm -hmm. the moment he lets go of that pain. Exactly. Yeah. That, that defines him. And it, it makes the character, I think, believable you know it's like you you have to be driven to the point of being this character and so when we get to see that it just kind of solidifies that for the audience uh i also read that dana uh turned down the role of carrie bradshaw for sex in the city which i thought was just kind of a funny aside never really watched sex in the city (laughs) oh i've seen the whole thing oh really yes (laughs) my mom was a big fan but i I never got into it but apparently yeah she was going to be carrie bradshaw I also read that, um, and I have to watch this again. This is one of those like I, I this is on my list of must-have movies on here. But uh, that she was in Tombstone, and I don't remember her in that movie. I don't remember her in that movie either. I saw the character name, but it didn't ring any bells. So I'm gonna have to watch it again. I didn't know if it was one of the the wives or one of the um, side characters, but yeah, apparently she was in that too. And I was like, what a great connection! I love that movie too. Like, like I need another excuse to watch Tombstone. I right. Mean, <laughs> also came out in 1993. So. Wow. 93 <laughs> was a good year. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> but yeah. Do you have any more uh, Delaney facts? Um, only that she's an interesting person in real life. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> you know, there were some stories that came out like, you know, she talks about how, yeah, she has her lover in, in France or something. She, she's very co- – in real life, she's a very cosmopolitan um, I believe is the word you would use type of person. Gotcha. But, but, um, and she was also in a really terrible comedy with Rosie O'Donnell and somebody else. I think it was like exit to Eden or something or, and I remember, I remember her like, that was like my really only live action experience with her before she went on to be on Desperate Housewives. Yeah. I was about to say Desperate Housewives too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have too many more facts about her than what I shared, but I mean, I definitely, she's one of my favorite characters in the movie. Nick was like, so when are you making your Mask of the Phantasm costume? I was like, don't add to my list. (laughs) You must make that a priority right now. I'm sorry. I feel like Nick would make it for sure because he's really good with props. Um, (laughs) But uh, let's talk about uh, Abe Vigoda, Salvatore, a.k.a. AKA, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, oh my goodness. I mean, what a great, like, aging mob boss. I mean, yes. the, the, the detail of, like, w- in the present day that he has to carry an oxygen tank mm-hmm. around the whole time. And, oh, and this goes to nothing but makes this movie so adult. All the gangsters smoke throughout this entire movie. Right, yeah, you couldn't really get away with that now. <laughs> 
oh no no maybe i mean they couldn't get they could they couldn't get away with the tv show i mean oh, really? this is one of the this is one of those movies that you can tell that it was like good we don't have standards and practices bringing it on our neck we can actually like do things now but yeah seeing him and why do i know that name it's one of those names that i know but i don't know why i know it the godfather uh sal tessio oh that is so perfect and i'm so ashamed for not knowing that because i love the godfather i i recognize his voice and then when i saw his name i was like i know that character i was thinking he was going to be from goodfellas because wasn't there a mob boss with an oxygen tank in goodfellas or am i making that up or was it casino one of those movies Mm, it, oh my, this, this all these mob, of, all these great mob movies start to blend together. It, oh, it reminded me a lot of that. I was like, oh, that's like in in this other movie, but I, I'll think of it later. I'll think of it like tonight, right before I go to bed or something. <laughs> Which is really funny because Ava Good in real life is like really kind of like he's he's so. I mean, he's got the bushy eyebrows, and he's like you know, and and, and to see him voicing this really skinny old character is just. It it's so amazing that that voice could come out of that body and you completely believe it. That's another thing the Batman the Animated Series could do is man, they could get some voice talent. I was really it, shocked, it, yeah, by some of the I, I recognize some of the voices and I'd like when we were watching it recently and I'd race and go look it up and like be so proud of high five myself when I guess the right name. Uh, okay, so let's talk about uh, probably the, per, the the best for last, as I said, uh, Mark Hamill. The best Joker ever. You, you got that right. I mean, I and the thing about his Joker is that because he's been allowed to play his Joker like on such a spectrum. I mean, you've got the animated series Joker, which is very much more the clown mm-hmm. who occasionally has dark moments, and then then when he plays him in Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker, it's almost like joker raised to a hannibal lecter level i haven't seen that <gasps> i know i know i'm catching up i will see it no you 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 must and you must soon is all i gotta say <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole nother level of mark hamill's uh, performance as the joker and then of course when the way he plays him in the arkham games which just makes me crap my pants when i play those games because i always play them like two in the morning and that's just not a good that's just not a good choice and sometimes it's him and sometimes it's that british guy right that like sounds like him like he's basically oh. doing his voice but it's not him yeah you're troy baker is that yeah, what you're talking yeah, about yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah i uh you know I, I guess like i said because i had late in life comic book use um I uh, didn't read a lot of the stories with the Joker as much because I only read the few that I've read. And so now that I've read so much more, um, I just feel like Mark Hamill is the closest to what's in the comics. And what's in the comics change, but... Yes, yes, it does. But he, for me, he's the Joker like Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams did him. Like in, mm-hmm. in the 70s, like The Laughing Fish which they even adapted for the animated series or, you know, that Joker is like where I feel like Mark Hamill nails his performance is that late seventies Joker. I guess I like the idea of him keeping more of the clown persona than he does in, in some of the other, you know, uh, iterations of him. Like, I feel like that's something that's kind of missing in some of the movies. Um, I mean, I love Jack Nicholson. I thought, I mean, he's kind of, that's like what I grew up with. So I kind of, He's kind of my favorite. 
Um, obviously, Heath Ledger, what he did was incredible. Wasn't really the Joker, but doesn't matter because it was so good. Um, but yeah, I just you don't really see that as much in the movies, and I feel like he was able to do both so convincingly. Like, even though it's so silly, like you're still kind of afraid of him, and I think that's what I like about his portrayal of him. Well, he also had. And we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about this at some point, but Shirley Walker's score, but the theme, but the yes. theme they write yes. for him, that you know, it's like it's so like it's so clowny, yeah. and yet and yet they play it when he's doing like the most horrendous, awful things, yes. and so you're like, is this funny or is this scary? It's kind of both. Yeah, that, that's so funny you say that because that's actually what my husband said to you. He was like, I wish they would use this theme like in the movies, like somehow work it in. I'm like, I, I would be on board for that. I would like that. Oh, it's just it's just something that I, I'm almost going to segue into into music almost. But it's like that is something that the animated series and this movie, because it's all Shirley Walker and then the other three composers, uh, Lolita R- Ramirez, uh, Michael McCusin, and there's a third one, and I am blanking on his name, but in like, you know, the sort of that staff of composers they kept mm-hmm. that they just have these themes that kind of almost along with the voices, like I hear mute like they wrote character themes that not only do i hear these actors voices i also hear that music in my head whenever i'm reading comics because i associate almost like peter and the wolf i associate this i associate this music with this character absolutely yeah i mean when i hear the batman theme i mean that's that's his theme to me you know and and the same with the joker it's just too iconic um, I like that Mark Hamill said, and I hadn't read this before, you, you already mentioned Hannibal Lecter, so I had read that he said that his, his Joker voice is a mixture of Hannibal Lecter and Jerry Lewis, which I, I love that. <laughs> oh, it's so so true, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's on point. <laughs> I, ha- I do have a little small, I have a small little story to tell. Oh, go for I it. totally used my impersonation of uh, Mark Campbell's The Joker in college when I got cast as the dentist in Little Shop of Horrors. Nice. And in the scene where uh, it, it's when Seymour comes to the dentist's office and he's high on the laughing gas the whole time and, event- and eventually, you know, asphyxiates. I can't even say that word. Asphyxiates. <laughs> I my entire laugh that I did for that show was me doing my ripoff of Mark Hamill's the Joker. And so I, so it was my favorite role I ever did as an actor. And so I have a giant debt to Mark Hamill that, that inspired my performance was his vocal work in as this character. It's so big. Like, you know, I think, uh, I think it was actually in that documentary that you're, you were mentioning earlier, um, who's that voice? Is that what is that I know what? that voice? I know that voice. Okay. Um, they talk about how hard it is to, to act, you know, how much bigger their performance is and how much range you have to have because you don't have a space to work in. You're not working off of, uh, you know, the facial expressions or anything. You're just hearing their voice. And so in that way, I, I feel like they're sort of the unsung heroes of, you know, the talent world, because it's, it's actually very hard. We, 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 of course, cannot talk about this without talking about the casting and voice direction legend that is Andrea Romano, who mm-hmm. just announced her retirement today. I saw and that on Twitter. I'm yeah. so sad. 
Um, but Andrea Romano always wanted to get as many of the actors in the same room whenever possible. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah, there's there's a famous there's a famous photo that you can find online when they did the episode Almost Got Him, that great episode where all the all the rogues are playing poker and talk and telling their Almost Got oh, yeah. Batman stories. All of those actors were in the same room at the same time for the recording of that episode. Oh wow. So I would not be surprised if some of that happened during this movie because they knew that they needed to be able to play off each other. And, and I mean, and you ever watch Mark Hamill record the Joker? I mean, yes. you better be standing like five <laughs> feet away because his arms are flying the whole time. Yeah, that's why I love seeing him when he's whenever he's on like the Flash as a trickster or, you know, I just like seeing him. <laughs> it's so good. It so is. Good. Oh, so what are we going to talk about next? Because okay. I could I, I can gush about this all day. <laughs> why don't you tell me some of your favorite scenes from the movie? Well, I've already hit one of them. But that whole "please tell me it's okay." I never, I never expected to be happy. Yeah. Is one of those great scenes. I mean, like I said, I still get. I mean, I'm 35 and I'll still get choked up watching that scene, no matter how many times I've seen this movie. Right. Um, I, I agree with you. Oh, uh, another one that I just love is, um, like the scene. In the graveyard, when after Chucky, after the phantasm has killed Chucky Saul, and he's going after like Bonansky or Bransky or whatever his name is, but he's chasing him through the graveyard, and then eventually, like he falls into falls into the grave, and the phantasm like drops the statue on him. That is a legitimately creepy scene. Mm-hmm. And the, and they have like the theremin playing in the background that just adds to it, and you're just like, I think as a child that scene like actually scared me, like legitimately scared me <laughs> watching it. I'm sure it would have if I was a kid when I saw it too. I really like that scene as well. Oh, there's just and so then, many good ones. There's so many good. I mean, like I could literally sit here and just say the you know the entire movie. Yeah. But I, I think the the next one I want to I want to end on is the the fight between Batman and the Joker mm-hmm. in uh, in the old World's Fair, and I yeah. remember this. I mean, this movie was rated PG, which back you know nowadays almost every animated movie is PG because they find something to complain about. But sure. back then, for an animated movie to get PG, there had to be something in that. And I still remember that fight where like Batman and Joker are ready to almost kill each other mm-hmm. and Batman and Joker's laughing and Batman kicks him in the chin and actually <laughs> pops out a tooth and they actually animated blood like like dripping out of his like flying out of his mouth and like dripping down his nose for like two seconds before he wipes it away and then they don't draw the blood again. But I just remember the impact that had going. They just animated blood. Like yeah. someone actually bled because of this, which they could never do on the show. So seeing it in the movie was like something special. That entire scene when they're in the, is it the land of tomorrow or is it the Disney yeah. world? Okay. Um, uh, world, world, the, <laughs> world of the, tomorrow. The world of tomorrow. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, when they're in the world of tomorrow, I think again, because I saw this as an adult, I automatically thought about the world's fair in Chicago, which this was, was uh, made after the one in New York. 
but I automatically got where they were, you know, and I was like, mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. I, I for sure know as a kid, I wouldn't have picked up on that. But I really, as an adult, I really appreciate that because that does happen. They create these world fairs and then sometimes they just kind of like abandon that area and it becomes like, you know, a skeleton of it. And then also just the, just thematically what it represents, you know, uh, it's like when they went on a date, it was the future and now he's in the future and it's so terrible and just, it's got layers. I just really like that scene. No, that's one thing you can always accuse a Batman the Animated Series episode of having. It's got layers. Yeah, I just, I really like that. That's so dark. And like, I think sometimes too, because it's a cartoon, it's like they have permission to go darker sometimes. I mean, I guess because it had that PG rating and it wasn't on TV, but like, I feel like if you saw this as a live action, you know, it, it would be a it would resonate with you that it's how dark it actually is, but because it's like a cartoon, it's kind of safe, you know? And so yeah, they're able I, to like play with that theme more, I think. But they could also do things in a cartoon that, I mean, it would be, it, it would be cost prohibitive to do in live action. Sure. Which, which is why seeing it in animation is so incredible. Like at the end when, you know, Joker's on the, like, Totally like on the Rocketeer rocket pack because yeah. Rocketeer came out about the same time too. Right, and, right. It, and they're flying around and the whole place is going up in smoke and the Joker is just laughing because he's like, this is fantastic. We're all going to die. And he just finds that incredibly funny. Right. I, I really like uh, whenever they're able to show the motivation of the Joker, I guess, in the right way. You know, it's like. Not, not that I can think of an example where it's the wrong way, but I just mean that I feel like this movie really captures his his motives really well. Like how he's just, I mean, he just wants to mess up Batman's life. There's no, there's nothing deeper there, <laughs> but he's so involved. And I, I like that. I like how he's at the end sort of a surprise and that when you go back and watch it again, you can see him, you know, like when he has that aha moment where he sees him in the picture and it's like, uh oh, um, but when you're watching it, you see him throughout. I, I thought that was really cool. They don't have to go into his backstory. They don't have to explain everything about the Joker. They just show that he's kind of always been there, and I like that. Yeah, I mean, it was as close as the animated series. Because the animated series took a lot from the Tim Burton movie. So that was as right. close as they ever came to giving you a Joker origin, which kind of winked at the Jack Napier version sure. that you saw in the 89 Batman. Yeah, but it's also consistent even with uh, – the Alan Moore interpretation because he's loosely affiliated with the mob. I feel like, you know what I mean? He's like involved, but not all yeah, the way in. So it's kind of like, you can kind of have both with this interpretation. You could see it either way. And I kind of like that. Yeah. I just, I, I'm always one of those people that the less I know about Joker's backstory, the happier I am. I have to agree. <laughs> so I, I like how they kind of put him in there a little bit, but it's like, oh, it's just so good. But it just adds, once again, talking about the noir detective story, it just adds another mystery. Like, it's all the misdirects of who, who is this? What, what, what's the real mystery? Because there's so many mysteries. Mm -hmm. there, there's the central mystery of who is the phantasm. But on the journey to figure that out, they put so many other mysteries that you're trying to figure out throughout the movie that you kind of stop wondering who the phantasm is because you're getting so distracted and all the other things. Right. And so is Batman. I think that's what makes it kind of, that makes it pretty believable at the end when he's so surprised because you could write this to where it would seem silly that he's surprised at the end. Right. But right. he's so disarmed by his emotion and his memories 
it, I mean, that's why he can't figure it out basically. Um, Oh, one actor we did not mention, uh, that I feel like is one of the unsung heroes of the series and of this movie is Ephraim Zimbalish Jr. as Alfred. Oh yeah. I love his Alfred. Oh no, he is my, I mean, he is my Alfred. Um, he has one of the most quotable lines ever. I still quote this line from the movie. You know, when out Al, when Batman tells him, "You think you know me so well, don't you, Alfred?" And his retort, because Alfred always has a retort, always. is, "I diapered your bottom. I bloody well ought to, sir." <laughs> and to this day, that is still like a, a line that like I'll just say to myself every once in a while and snicker because Ephraim Zimbalist Jr.'s line delivery is just point on because his Alfred is the one that's like, I'm going to support you, but I'm also going to call you in your crap when I don't agree with it. Right. That's true. That's a good point. I, I loved, I loved in the animated series too, that he got a couple episodes just about him. I always enjoyed those. Oh, I love the line in the unicorn is still one of my favorite episodes. Cause that was like super spy Alfred. Yes. Yeah. Anytime we get to see more of Alfred's backstory, I'm on board. I just once again, I, what I love about this movie, like I love about the series, is it never talked down to the audience. Right. These people were writing a story that could appeal to kids, but man, if you were a, an adult who loved Batman, th- this is the sto- this is a story for you. Yeah, I, I feel like you actually get more out of it. The um, I guess like the older I get to see seeing it as an adult, like I feel like I get more out of it than maybe I would have as a kid. So. But like you said, you can still enjoy it. Yeah, it, 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 it's the Warner Brothers tradition. The stuff that would be, quote, inappropriate for the children is done in a way that goes over the children's heads. And then that way the adults can enjoy it. Yeah, I remember as a kid, I kind of gravitated towards stuff like this, um, much to my parents' dismay. Like, you know, my favorite cartoons were... This one, you know, when it came to movies, I liked like Secret of Nim, like the darker, more drama filled cartoons, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I, you know, it, it's not like I was like a dark kid or anything, but I, I just kind of craved more, I think. And so I really appreciated stuff like this. And I think you can kind of have both. It's not like it has to be super racy or rated R in order to explore something a little deeper. Well, it's always interesting, and I and talking about back in '94 when I watched this with my dad, I remember when we get to the end of the movie, and there's that heartbreaking line where Andrea's on the yacht, and the guy tries to hit on her, and he, he goes, oh, "I'm sorry, do you want to be alone?" And she's like, "I already am." And then you get, <laughs> and then you get the cool, like you know, the we pan up the building shot. Batman's being all broody. And then the bat signal comes on and he swings out and that's the end of the, and we get our, you know, we get our triumphant, you know, end of the movie. And I remember going, wow, this movie is incredible. And my dad sat there and went, that was kind of sad and depressing. And my reaction was, <laughs> yeah, wasn't it awesome? Yeah. Cause you and don't my, get to see that as a kid. You're like, oh, something real, you know, I know. And it, was so, and it was so funny that that was the first time. And I've, I've experienced this many times since that I realized that. You know, I've heard people say, well, you need to feel good leaving a movie. I'm like, screw that. No, oh, yeah. I can be emotionally destroyed and still go. That was an incredible movie. Yeah. People often tell me that about my top movies. They're like, all your movies are that you like are really, really sad. I'm like, I don't know. I, don't, I for some reason, maybe it was just when I grew up and when I was watching movies and that's how my tastes were shaped. I don't know. But 
I do appreciate a good drama. So it, it doesn't depress me. It doesn't take anything away. I, I like having a strong emotional reaction to a film. And I want to leave and think about it. And I feel like this film does that. Oh, absolutely. I, I, my, my thought is if I've had a strong emotional reaction, the movie's done its job. Right. You know, even, even if I'm like crushed by it, it made me feel something. And thus, it has been successful on some level. Right. Yeah. I, and, oh, go ahead. And Tom. then to get that from a cartoon just adds a whole nother, like, because people think, you you know, it's a cartoon and they automatically dismiss it. But I'm like, but no, but, but these are anim, these are people, these are hand-drawn people making me feel this way. And that just adds a whole nother level of appreciation to the film for me. Right. I know. I was trying to get somebody at work one time to watch uh, Flashpoint and they like refused. They're like, oh, it's a cartoon. And I'm like, I'm like, what? I was like, come on. And so like I told them the plot. I'm like, here's the plot. Now go watch it. And they did. And they were still like, it was okay. But you know, it was still a cartoon. And I'm like, that that doesn't hold me back at all. Like, uh, you know, from a good movie, whether it's animated or not, that, that doesn't play into it for me. So it's kind of hard for me to relate to. One thing that I really like about Andrea Beaumont, I think that I want to say, and I, I feel like we already touched on this, and it, it's fairly obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I love that she that she's Batman, you know? I, I love that she essentially is the other side of the coin, but in mm-hmm. a slightly different way than... I mean, they've done that before in the comics, but doing it with the love interest is really interesting to me. And I'm also glad that this wasn't her last appearance in the animated universe. Oh really? What, what was she in one of the other episodes or? E- oh oh, she she come. Okay, there's two things. One, I'm not going to spoil it for you because I don't want you to know when it's going to happen. Okay. But she does show up again. Okay. And there are a couple of different comic books you can read. Uh, there was a you know Batman. I mean, back in the '90s, everything had a comic book tie-in. So there was a there was a tie-in comic book series with the animated series and there was a annual that came out in 94 that picks up like when the world fair explodes and you know she and the joker just sort of uh, you know disappear Mm -hmm. there's a comic book that tells the story what happens like immediately after that moment like we stop following batman and we see what happens to them and it and it follows i think it's like batman and robin adventures annual number one and it tells you how they survived and you find out all that information. And then they did a Batman. Kyle Higgins wrote a Batman beyond series called Batman beyond 2.0. And there was like a three issue arc called Mark of the phantasm that, that you get to see Andrea again, but in the future with Terry as Batman and, you know, old man Bruce. And so she, So this is not her only appearance. She she made enough of an impact that she has been carried on into comics and other episodes and episodes of the animated universe. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, she her her conflict. I was was trying to explain this plot to somebody today that hadn't seen the movie and their first answer, which I always think it's funny when people say this. And I feel like it's like when you read the comics and when you're really into the fandom, you don't really have this thought anymore. But she was like, so I don't understand the girl killing the mob bosses. I mean, that's not bad. Like, why does he try to stop her? And I was like, well, uh, that's Batman's whole thing. You don't kill people. <laughs> you know, that's his entire, that's, that's the biggest thing that separates him from her 
and the reason why they can never be together. Um, because because she gave it, she gave into the darkness. Exactly. Yeah. But it's funny because from an outside perspective, I mean, outside of the Batman universe, I mean, not all superheroes even have that rule. The first thing she said when I told her that was she was like, oh, like Spider-Man. <laughs> so it's like you, you kind of forget. I think you get so entrenched in his world sometimes that you forget that that's even an option, like to kill the bad guy. But it's even like commentary in the movie itself where they're mm -hmm. where like Joker's like, wouldn't it be so wonderful? I finally drove him off the deep end. You know, like he's yeah. so excited, like the thought that it was hit like when he was even willing to consider that Batman's actually knocking off these mob bosses and like he wants to take credit for it. And like right. that would make him the happiest man in the world. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's, you know, again, like this movie has so many aspects to it that that they're that the reasons why it's a perfect Batman movie. And that's, that's just another one that you're the general audience is asking themselves that question too. Well, and, and it's morally gray. Yes. Mm -hmm. She's killing people. But once you get that final flashback, when you realize that she came home to find her, like she thought they thought they had escaped the mob, mm -hmm. but they, they had, they, what had years, months or years where they were happy and living somewhere in Europe and she comes home one day, and I love the fact that you never see her father dead. Mm -hmm. You just hear her gut-wrenching scream, and you can only imagine. Like, I love that because it leaves you to imagine what did he look like. Was he just dead, or did somebody have a little fun? Like, right. you can play how bad was it. Mm -hmm. and, and, then, yeah. and then when she starts knocking off all these mob bosses, you're like, I mean, she's the Punisher. Yeah, it's like it's I mean, not yeah. really that crazy. You know, you're like I'm, I, I see where you're, I see where you're go, I see where you're going with this, and you know, and but Batman's got that rule. Is like, no, this, you know, no, no, you you can't do this. I can't let you do this. And she's like, eh, I'm not asking. Right, and they both have that origin, right? Like that's how they become what they are through a tragic death. And the only difference is that you know Batman became Batman, and she became. The Mask of the Phantasm. But, I mean, part of that could be, too, because she's an adult when it happens. Whereas Bruce is a, a kid and has an entire... I mean, even though he doesn't ever really work through his issues, you know, he still at least has the support of Alfred. She doesn't, you know. Right. Well, and it's also something I think Brad Meltzer, the novelist and comic book writer, once said. It's like, Batman is only an idea that an eight-year-old would come up with. Right. Like, that is only something that's born out of an eight-year-old's imagination. Not a scary ghost or phantasm person with a sickle hand. No, and, and, <laughs> and, and you're killing people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as, as, a, as a jaded adult, you take you react to that and you say, I want to kill them. As right. an eight-year-old, you're like, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. Right, right, right. Well, let's see here. We've talked about the actors, the director, the, a lot of the plot. What do you think? Do you want to talk about some more scenes or do you want to wrap it up? I think we need to wrap it up because at this point, if we keep on going, we're going to we're going to basically retell the entire movie. at this Right. Point and I do. Because need to work it's so tomorrow. good. <laughs> OK, well, what keeps you coming back to this movie? This seems like a, a silly question, at this point, <laughs> but <laughs> go ahead and answer it. <laughs> because it is so quintessentially Batman. It has everything in this movie that, in my opinion, makes a. Batman story. Mm -hmm. It has the detective elements. It has, 
you know, the cool, you know, you've got the gadgets, you've got the Joker, you've got a mystery, you've got the mob, you know, it's, it's all in there. And even after you watch it and you know, the, it's like a good mystery. Even after you know the who done it, you still want to go back and go, okay, let me follow this one more time. And it mm-hmm. just keeps you, it just keeps you going back. And because it is so high level, it is so uh, um, mature, mm-hmm. you never lose interest in it as you get older. I think we even said in this conversation, actually, you appreciate it more the older you get. Mm-hmm. It, I kept thinking about the long Halloween when I was watching it again oh, this time. Oh, yes. And I was like, oh, it's just like another story I wish that they would adapt. Um, but, yeah, it's like I, I completely 100% agree with you. I was realizing the other day because um, we were watching, I think it was James Bond, and I was like, man, Batman is literally like all the things I like in one thing because <laughs> because I like those spy movies. I like mobster movies. I like detective stories. Like uh, if I'm not listening to – to your podcast or um, humor podcast, I'm always listening to like true crime. So <laughs> true crime is a big thing for me. So like Batman is like weirdly all those things, even like Sherlock Holmes, like he's all those things. And then this movie has all those things in it. So I feel like I could say to somebody, somebody could go, why do you like Batman so much? And I could go because of this, you know, and like <laughs> show them this movie and it would give them an idea in a way that I think, you know, you get a certain level of Batman from the animated series, from the movies but when you read the comics, it's like a different world almost. You know, you're just opened up to so much more of it and you get to enjoy so much more of it. I feel like this movie kind of gives a, a window into that, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Like you said, it's like, why do you love Batman? Watch this movie. Right. If you don't understand it after watching this movie, I can't help you. Right. <laughs> like, you need to leave. Just kidding. <laughs> but um, so what would you say to someone that's never seen this movie before? Watch it as soon as possible. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean that's even why I've you know I I've shown it to to students before. It's like if you have not seen this movie, you need to see this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is it is that kind of movie where I go. If you like animation, you should watch this movie. If you like Batman, you sure as hell should watch this movie. You right. know, it, it's just it's just one of those things where I can just say. If you haven't seen it, where have you been? And you need to correct this as soon as possible. I mean, that's, I mean, it, I'm being, I mean, kind of jokey, but not really. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things that I feel like if you are a fan of the genre, you, this is a, this is a movie you should see. Yeah. And I have to, I have to agree with you. I think, uh, you know, for me, it's really hard to top the Dark Knight in the sense that, I think as a movie, that's like the best Batman movie I've seen. Like, yeah, as, if, as a as a film, as a yes. film, right? But the best Batman movie <laughs> is this one. I mean, it yes. really is as close to perfect as you can get. And so, I would say to someone that hasn't seen this before, uh, yeah, you need to see it. And and this is coming from a a, a person that's turned from non-believer to believer. I. You know, I didn't know what the hype was. I read so many lists where people said, oh, this is the best Batman movie ever, da-da-da-da. Yeah, I can objectively say I think it's that good. 
Yeah, that made me so happy when I saw on the Facebook group where you were like, I, I avoided watching it because I couldn't believe it was as good as everyone says it was, and then it was. <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and you know, that's another thing that I like uh, about this podcast is that it gets me to be a little more open-minded. Um, I'm kind of like a reformed movie snob. I feel like there's so many film genres I used to avoid. In fact, honestly, I used to avoid the entire superhero genre. I was like... Ugh, all these movies are the same. I, I, I'm not interested. Um, and I feel like when I started getting more into the DC ones, I mean, I always love the Nolan trilogy, duh. But like some of the other ones, I wasn't as into. Um, but the DCEU, I mean, it kind of gives me everything that I want that I feel like some of the other movies don't have, and that's what this movie has, which is you know layers to it. Uh, you can think about it, talk about it, discuss it. Some, you can watch it for 25 years and yeah. never get tired of it. <laughs> it grows with you. Yeah, I, I really like it. And, and so, yeah, that's what I would say to someone that um, they need to see this movie. And it explains why I like Batman. And it ex- it's just a good movie. I mean, that's it. You don't need more than that. So, yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I cannot say that enough. Like, seriously, well, but- thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. I've loved your show. And then when, when you suggested the idea of this being the, uh, I, I was, I, I've been campaigning so long to be on the show. It's like, here's a suggestion <laughs> and here's a suggestion. And then when you totally like said, we should do mask of the phantasm. I was like, yes, please. I'm such a big uh, fan of your podcast. It's just, it's just so, so awesome to have you seriously. Well, I think I have to plug it now that you've actually yes, mentioned it a couple of please. times. Please. Oh, well, um, <laughs> I'm on a podcast uh, with my co-host, Tim, called The Suicide Squadcast, where we talk about uh, DC um, movies, TV shows, comics, primarily the DCEU movies. We do a weekly news show and then reviews whenever the movies come out. And Lisa has been a longtime listener and has been so sweet, and I love following her on Twitter. <laughs> and so when she started her own podcast and I found out about it, I was like, subscribe immediately yeah and your podcast i mean you've tim has maybe told you like i i was so inspired by your podcast i was so excited i can't tell you how many i listened to so many movie podcasts and they were really bumming me out man like (laughs) whenever they would review like suicide squad or bvs i would just get angry i remember one time my husband actually saying turn this off (laughs) because we're just so it was so brutal. And, and I thought, you know, that's awful. So I, I actually searched like just DC. I'm like, somebody is going to say something good about these movies that I like. And then I found your podcast and just got so addicted to it. And it's just so nice because now I can sound like a know-it-all, you know, like when people <laughs> try to kind of like school me, I'm like, well, actually, you know, <laughs> here's what Scott and Tim had to say. But, well, uh, yeah. the joke has always been that Tim's the play-by-play guy and I'm the color commentator. <laughs> I've been I've been told by one person that I make them enthusiastic about things they didn't think they were enthusiastic about. Which because is awesome. <laughs> I'm 35. I could give a crap. I'm like, I- I'm taking that 12-year-old who was made fun of and bullied and now realizing that I could give a flying flip what you have to say about me. And right. I'm going to love what I love. And the fact that your podcast is called I Love That Movie, I was like – I'm I'm in love just by the title. Yeah, and I mean, I, I had a very similar experience in that, you know, actually before this, I tried to start a couple movie clubs and there would always be like hurt feelings, um, you know, fights over 
who's a good director, who isn't. And it just always ended, it just left me with like a bad taste in my mouth. You know, I was always like, why does it always go here? And so I wanted to do this podcast because there's no chance of it going there. If we talk about something you really like, you're not going to say anything negative about it, you know? And we're not going to sit here and critique the movie frame by frame and point out all its flaws. We're just going to talk about how much we like it. Well, um, Scott, you need to come back. I I want to. Okay. I want to do another, very much. Do another DC movie or it doesn't have to be a DC movie, whatever. I I'm still I'm still hoping to do the last Starfighter someday. So Oh, I love that movie. Yes. I love that movie one. too. Well, thank you so much again and uh I I'll have you back soon. Thank you, Lisa. All right. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. That was so fun geeking out about Batman for over an hour. And if you want to see Scott's collection of paraphernalia from this movie, uh, or leave any feedback that you might have, you can reach me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay. You can also reach me on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa. And we have a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. It's just a safe space where other movie fans can chat about movies and not be judged. The only rule is don't be rude. So if somebody's like, my favorite movie ever is Bring It On, that's fine. It's equal to someone saying they love Apocalypse Now or Clockwork Orange, okay? Well, anyway, uh, if you guys could support us by leaving us a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. Right now, we are at 11 reviews, and just want to let you know, once we get four more positive reviews, we are going to randomly draw a name from those that left reviews, and they are entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of their choice. It's free money, guys. It's out of my pocket. This isn't like some sponsored thing. I'm just giving you guys money for supporting me. Thank you so much. So yeah, 11 reviews. Need four more. Easy money. Last thing I want to plug here is the... McKinney Classic Film Festival. So this is going to be August 25th, 26th, and 27th. It's the third annual McKinney Classic Film Festival. Uh, This year they're going to showcase five MGM films during the three-day festival, which offers great classic films, dynamic guests, activities, and plenty of popcorn too, all in historic downtown McKinney. So just so you know, here's the film titles real quick in the Times. They're going to show GG August 25th at 7.30, Um, They're going to show The Bandwagon Saturday, August 26th at 3.30. And they're going to show Meet Me in St. Louis Saturday, August 26th at 7.30. And then Sunday, they're going to have, that's August 27th at 2.30, The Pirate. And lastly, On the Town, Sunday, August 27th at 5 p.m. So yeah, once again, uh, that's all going to be in historic downtown McKinney. And we look forward to having you guys. If you can support your local film festivals, please do so. Uh, I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I look forward to hearing from you next week. Bye.